market. The S&P, the ISX This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we prefer our portfolios to have a green day and can't stand it when it's simply red. It's terrible. I'm Andrew Page and with me is Scott Phillips. Good day, Andrew. Good day, fools. Thanks for listening and thanks for keep listening after that bad pun. <laughs> It'll get better. Today, we are checking in on the macro news of the week and take a look at retail sales and the new RBA governor's first call on interest rates. We're also going to talk about Ford and the fact that the last of the uh, Australian-made vehicles are going to roll off the production line. Uh, It's the end of an era, but what does it mean for the country, the economy, and the market? And finally, the banking inquiry rolls on. Plenty of drama there. We take a look at all the implications for shareholders, the economy, and you. But Scott, first, macro. Hit me. I'm not talking uh, diet here. I'm talking <laughs> talking economy. Excellent. So we have uh, we always have we're a, a macrobiotic free zone, Andrew. I think <laughs> okay. you, you know very very well. That's definitely true for us. Uh, so let's let's have a look at the latest figures. We always right. get a trickle of numbers. They're mm-hmm. always coming out in and of themselves. They don't mean much, but they do help us form a picture. And the latest figures that we got were on retail spending. They were very important. Uh, helps the economy tick over. It was up 0.4 of one percent in August. Uh, that's actually good. Doesn't sound like a lot. It's actually a good rise. It was about twice what the uh, boffins were expecting, and it's the strongest read we've had since January. And funnily enough, Andrew, no matter which side of the fence you stand on, there was something for everybody. Oh, there always is. The optimists yeah. were very, very happy, as you say, doubled the rate from the uh, from the previous period. You know, zero point four percent month on month. That's a pretty good result. Excellent. Of course, the pessimists then say, well, it's not as high as zero point five percent, which is their <laughs> usual long term rate. So if you if you want to be pessimistic, there was something there for you. If you want to be optimistic, as we generally are, there was something there for us as well. Right. Overall, look, retail sales numbers are a really, really important metric. This is a number that really talks about how willing you and I are to go out and spend our money. We've talked about this before. The big C when it comes to the economy is confidence. And if people are confident enough to spend, then businesses will hire. If businesses are hiring, consumers are spending. So this really is part of that virtuous circle Mm. that when things are good, it's virtuous. When things are bad, it gets pretty vicious pretty quickly. Mm. When we see retail spending continuing to increase, despite what's been relatively mediocre income growth, that's a pretty good sign for the economy. You know, a nice way to think about it is that someone's spending is someone else's income. No. So if people aren't spending, someone out there is not getting paid, which is why economists and and politicians, we like to talk about spending because that's more money in someone's pocket. And the flip side is very also true. If you don't spend, then not only is someone not making money, they're going to probably lay off staff. And that starts, you know, and once people get laid off, confidence is so important. If you're worried about the economy, what's the first thing you do? You say, oh, you know what? I won't buy that new, whatever the thing is, new Mm. phone, new bag, new suit, new car, new whatever. If you stop all of a sudden, then other people say, well, people aren't spending, so I'm not going to spend either. And so it becomes a really, really vicious circle very quickly. You can get in a funk, can't you? The good news is the August numbers were strong. Yeah, that is. You know, you can break that down uh, a bit as you I'll give you a couple of things that stood out here. So department stores were the standout. Three and a half percent. DJs and Myra back. We were just bagging them out or telling how, <laughs> saying how tough things were. Were you wrong? Uh, that was, that. I think that the thing to, to bear in mind there was down a lot the month before. So maybe maybe we can just sort of... A bit uh, of a bounce back. Yeah, from. a bit of a bounce back All there. Right. Interestingly, uh, cafes, restaurants, Restaurants takeaways doing very well. I mean, as, as Aussies, I think that's what we're more than happy. No matter how bad things might get, we're going to go get that uh, cappuccino, right? Or go and get the Thai takeaway. And, a good and things cafe brekkie on a, on, a, on a weekend is hard to be. Isn't it what? You. Isn't it the big brekkie? Indeed. So that's all going really well. So okay, let's let's tie this up, Scott. Yep. So let's let's put that in context with you know unemployment scenario, GDP, all the rest of it. How we how we are positioned? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. The the 
there's always something to worry about and always something to be thankful for when yep. any of these numbers come out. You know, And frankly, if things are going really well, then you start to worry about things going too well. So mm. economists are always worried about something. Either it's not quite good enough or it's a little bit too good. There's a very, very small spot. You know, One month out of about three years, you're kind of okay and happy with things. Net-net, yeah. The economy's in a pretty good shape. Uh, we're not without risks. Um, we'll talk about banking a little bit later. Yeah. But, you know, house prices continue to, to skyrocket. Hmm. Um, there are reasons for being concerned or at least at least mindful. The Australian dollar is higher than the RBA would like it. That really does crimp the growth of, of exports and manufacturing, hurts our, impo- our, our local uh, providers and helps importers. So, hmm. look, there are reasons to think things could be better. Sure. But, again, given we've been as an economy globally, let alone in Australia, very, very hard to complain with the current set of results. All right. Well, we'll revisit this in the future and hopefully the news will keep staying <laughs> Good. We <laughs> know, of course, it won't forever, but let's 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 hope it lasts as long as it can. Correct. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Scott, let's talk about Ford. Are you a Ford man or a Holden man? I've always been way. a Holden. I, yeah. You know what? Peter Brock, King of the Mountain. Yep. I'm a, I'm, and frankly, Bath is on this weekend. Yep. Uh, I, I am a Holden man through and through. Okay. Rocky in the 05 Commodore is about as good as it gets. So, you? Uh, well, I, I don't really have a preference. I'm, I'm not much Wrong of a answer. motorhead. Come on. You're either a Ford man or a I'll Holden take a, man. I'll take matter. a Tesla as soon as I can oh, afford one. Sorry, listeners. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> Just telling it like it is. So... Oh. So, yeah. you, well, if you're, you're a Holden man, man. You, you must be, uh, there's a bit of schadenfreude perhaps with the fact that uh, the last Ford is rolling off the production line. 10 a.m. I think it was on Friday. Indeed, indeed. About uh, 15 minutes from now, we're recording this on Friday morning, about quarter to 10. The last Ford is literally about to roll the off the production The last Australian-made Ford, correct, I, should, I should stress. This is after 91 years. Yeah. So this really, truly is the end of an era. How's it come to this? A very, a very long and storied history. I, I should say, there's not a lot of schadenfreude there, both because, frankly, there are real people being impacted yeah. And also because Holden themselves are closing down. So there'll be no more Australian-made cars. And that's the biggest story here. Ford is the story of the day, and and it rightly should be. Uh, People who've spent 40, 50 years working at at the Ford plant in Broadmeadows. Generations, too. Literally, literally. 600 people losing their jobs, I believe. 120 people getting redeployed Mm. within the Ford organization. So a massive, massive, massive deal for for Australian manufacturing. And particularly for those communities, Broadmeadows in in Victoria, South Australia, where Holden's based, and and Toyota are based, of course, as well. Uh, Those plants going out of business in the next sort of 12 or so months. Is it just that that we can't make a decent car? We can't make a decent car cheaply enough. That's the problem. That's the key one. Look, frankly, we've made some crap cars in Australia over over, over the years. Let's be really clear. Uh, Some really good old ones. The the old Holden's, the old Ford's pretty good. We went through a period in the 70s and 80s where not much great was coming out of those those companies compared to what was being bought in from overseas. Tariffs went up. Governments tried to do a whole lot of Mm. stuff to fix the Mm. the industry. Mm. We've got a really big problem, Andrew. There's two problems specifically. The first is we have a very, very small manufacturing base. There's simply not enough cars sold in Australia to offset the number of cars that are sold in the rest of the world. So if you're making a car in Europe, in America, in Korea, in Thailand, Mm. uh, in Spain... Those cars are going around the rest of the world. There is literally you know, 10, 20, 30 times as many consumers for cars from those factories mm. as for ours. And when it comes down to a cost per car, yeah. you simply can't defray your costs across enough cars to make it worthwhile. Secondly, uh, you know, while, while I'm sure the, uh, the, the guys working Ford and Holden and Toyota are earning their money, yep. they're pretty expensive employees relative to well, the employees relative in those other places. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. add those two together, it's very, very hard mm. to make a cost-effective, high-quality Australian car at a decent price compared to the cars you can get elsewhere. And frankly... The other thing we need to talk about, Australian 
car purchasing habits are changing. Yeah. Once upon a time, every second car was a Commodore or a Falcon. Yep. You know, I drive a Commodore, a couple of Commodores. I've driven a Falcon. Um, you know, that was that was what we all did. Mm. Now we're driving either imported stuff or local stuff. There are mm. either, you know, there's, there's the small cars, the Golfs, the the Barinas, the whatevers, the Astras, yep. um, or there's the SUVs. Mm. So that the, the, the you know the staple of the Australian car industry for such a long time was the family sedan, yep. fleet cars, taxis, the whole box and dice. Things are changing really, really rapidly. There's simply not as many of those big mainstream cars being sold. I think Ford Falcons outside the top 10, the Commodore might be the bottom of the top 10, that yep. kind of range. Yep. There's plenty of other cars being sold, but they're not the, the standby businesses, the cars we're used to. The ones we'll see, or at least the, the representations we'll see running around Bathurst this weekend. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get hyper-rational for a minute here. And I, I know this is an emotional topic, but devil's advocate. Yep. So we, we don't, what economists would call it comparative advantage. There are just other countries that have advantages at making these things than what we do. You got it. But we're pretty good at some other things. And this is a global interconnected world. Yes. Why don't we focus on what we're good at? Um, let's say we, we're good at digging iron out of the ground. We dig a bunch of dirt and rocks up. We, we ship it somewhere else. We get a whole bunch of money, mm -hmm. foreign money, mm -hmm. and we can use that to buy a car. Yep. So it's kind of like the way that the uh, Australia uh, incorporated gets cars yep. is by, you know, tourism, uh, education, uh, finance, uh, mining. And, and why not let's just stick to the things where we have an advantage yep. and, and trade for what we need. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's right? exactly what the government decided. When they cut tariffs and they cut car assistance, they basically said, look, we're spending a lot of money here to prop up an industry that simply isn't viable. Yep. And there's, Australians as a, as a whole are better off. Now, really, really bad news for the guys who work on those production lines. You know, they're yeah, going to really struggle to get new totally jobs. Totally acknowledge and, that, yeah. Uh, and we both say yep. that, you know, we, we expect the government should do more to help those people retrain and get, get absolutely better jobs. Absolutely, they should, yep. So that, that, you know, we should say that up front. The thing is, to your point about comparative energy is absolutely right. If we sell our wheat and our tourism and our iron to the rest of the world, and buy what they make back from them cheaply, yeah. we actually have a higher standard of living. If we only bought Australian cars, yeah. we'd have less money to spend on the other things that we like in our lives. Yeah. So for your $100, you can have a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. If you only bought Australian-made stuff as much as this will, you know, we all like to support local jobs and local industries, right? But if you only bought Australian-made stuff, you'd simply have less stuff yeah. after that period than you have before. Yeah. You might, And frankly, overseas have the same problem. Yeah. International trade, where we have our advantages, they have their advantages. Mm. We swap. That's what trade is, right? Yeah. And so we're, we're all better off as a result. And yeah. frankly, we all benefit significantly from doing so. So yes, it's all about Australian jobs. Yes, it's all about Australian industry. We don't like seeing Australians out of work. Yeah. But also remember, more Australians are in work specifically because we export. Yes. There'd be no no one in mining if we only had Australian iron ore for Australians. Yeah. Or Australian tourism for Australians. Or Australian education for Australians. Oh, it'd be tiny there'd be a whole industries, lot less yeah. miners, a whole lot less yeah. tourism operators, a whole lot fewer academics employed than are today. So there are jobs created by that trade in Australia as much as there are jobs lost to international trade. I, you got, we've got to put these things in context as well. And again, I know there's, there's a, a very real emotional and, and, and personal dimension to this, but these jobs that are lost, yep. you know, you, you could say that, you know, Woolies probably added, you know, twice that many jobs over the last couple of years. So as, although it's a heartbreaking scenario for some, relative to the size of the workforce okay. and the rest out there, it, it's not a big game changer for us as a whole economy. Yeah, we looked at some numbers last Friday, Andrew. We didn't do them on the podcast because frankly, no one wants to hear us rattle out numbers, but the number of jobs being added in health in services, in mm. you know tourism, in those sort of areas are phenomenal. They're mm. growing at, at double digit rates. Yeah. And the jobs being lost in manufacturing are important, but they're very, very small as a percentage of the total. Yeah. We're becoming a services economy. We're becoming a trading economy. Those are things we're actually good at, as you say, that we have an advantage in. There's only one Uluru. There's only one Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. There are only one Sydney University or University of Melbourne. Yeah. Those, 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 those things we have that are unique and different, people are paying money to come and do or see or enjoy. Yeah. 
for us to put you know a, a box of metal and, a, and four wheels on it and ship it somewhere else in the world, there are people out there who simply are better at doing that than we are. And the jobs we're creating, as you rightly say, it, look, we all like you know there's something something very very human, very tangible about stuff we make. Yeah. Right. You think about someone who works in Woolies or works in tourism or works in academia. You kind of go, well, they're making it. Not, it's not a thing we can kind of feel proud about. You see a car drive past, like, yeah, we made that. Yeah. There's something very visceral about stuff we mm. make. And so we all think we like manufacturing, and we do. But we've got to remember that this is an, a 21st century economy, and we get much, much, much more value and, frankly, many more jobs out of those services roles than we do out of manufacturing. Okay. So one of, one of the arguments that gets put forward is that we need manufacturing. So when, I don't know, Apology to my Indonesian mates. If Indonesia invades, yes. we, we've got somewhere we can build a tank, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yep. We, we need that, that local manufacturing capacity for defense reasons. Yep. Is, that, is, that, is that right? What do you think? Oh, look, this is such a vexed question, you know. It, it, it's, easy, it's easy for us to say, come on, who's going to invade Australia? This is ridiculous. Why would you just pay millions and millions and probably over its life, billions of dollars to the car industry to prop it up? On the off chance, maybe one day someone says, we'd like to have some of your country, please, and we're going to invade. Well, we so, those, those Kiwis are a bit shifty. Well, they, well, they've got no car industry either, so we're safe from them. <laughs> okay. and no, no Air Force or Navy. One of them. Anyway, okay. they've, got, they've got some pea shooters, I, I hear. Um, the, uh, sorry to our Kiwi friends. The, the reality is they... <laughs> They're, um, you know, if, if, if there came a time in 15 years time mm. when we had a car industry and we're invaded, we thought, thank God, there's still a car industry. We feel like that was completely vindicated. Yep. The chances that it's going to happen, the chance that we can actually do anything material with the car industry, it's a really vexed issue. I don't think there's no clear answer, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be easy in, in 10 years time to look back and say, I wish we'd kept it or I'm glad we didn't. Yep. Right now, we can't know that. So all you can do is say, look, do we really think having a car manufacturing plant is going to make a significant difference to national security? I don't think it is. Mm. The other question people often ask is, is the skill set of literally manufacturing vehicles. So yep. not only the plants themselves, but who knows how to make a car? Mm. You know, back in the day, our parents could pretty much fix their own cars. It wasn't that hard. They were simple machines. You didn't need the mechanics and the everything else of the world. Cars now are so complex, so computerized. Yeah, you need an IT degree thing, to fix a car. Man, I, yeah. I, you know, I'd be like, frankly, I'd be lucky to change my own oil. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm that hopeless, right? <laughs> because we're all specializing in those service jobs. You're in our own service industry, right? Yeah. So we're not, we're losing those skills. I know that when you turn the key, it starts most of the time. Sometimes. That, that, that's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> you should, Tesla, you should have a push button. Or <laughs> that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, look, yeah, so, so frankly, there are, there are reasons why having a manufacturing industry is good. Mm. They don't, I don't think, in any rational and reasonable basis, support the idea you should spend millions and millions and almost billions of dollars propping up an industry that simply is failing relative to having those things that make us valuable to the rest of the world and frankly mm. being good corporate citizens and, yeah. and good um, international citizens. All right. Well, let's let's move past it with a bit of a, a, a tip of the hat and a bit of respect for those those uh, those people that are going through the tough times, but, but probably an inevitability that that's, makes us better off overall. And for those who like these things, the Blue Oval does live on. There will be a whole lot of Fords being bought into the country imported. Yes. We may well see some of them drive around Bathurst. Absolutely. Absolutely. Value stocks, markets, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Scott, let's talk banking. CEOs. The sublime to the ridiculous, Andrew. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> the CEOs of the big four yes. uh, hauled before a parliamentary panel. Yes. Got a, a, a really good grilling. The House well, of it's good for the cameras. Anyway. Economics Committee. That's the one. Themselves. That's the one. Okay, well, let's let's start at the beginning here yep. with that with with you know the, the high level type stuff. Sure. Why? Why were they? Why were they? What what happened? What, the, what, what got them to this scenario? Do you, want the, do you want the real answer or the answer they'd like you to believe? Uh, let's go with both. <laughs> 
Uh, look, there, you know, there's very few politicians who don't earn brownie points for giving a big four bank CEO a bit of a, a bit of a slap around the chops. Yep. So, you know, if, if you're if you're the guy or girl who's there saying you bastards are stealing money from consumers and charging too much and what that that's that's pure political yeah, gold, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, they get a lot of benefit from from getting the big four CEOs in front of the committee. Ostensibly, they the, the reason they did it, uh, and there's some truth to it. I was a bit cynical before, is that they there is some concern that the big four banks aren't looking after their customers and the community the way they should be. Well, that, that's demonstrably true, at least for specific examples, right? For a lot of specific examples, a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, there, there's been financial. Pl- the Commonwealth Bank has been through a number of financial planning scandals, oh, scandal, as has ANZ. Scandal after scandal. Uh, yep. Cominsure, the Commonwealth Bank's insurance right. arm, has been given a hard time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, we heard during the during the uh, during the grilling. I, I did watch some of it on television. Um, they, they they didn't pay out on a heart attack insurance claim because they hadn't updated the definition That's for right. two or three years. That's right. Like, what do you cope? Anyway, there, there's Ourselves. an internet expert, yeah. right? How hard is it? Mm. So, look, there's that. Um, there's some concerns, allegations certainly about interest rate rigging across the big the big yep. four banks. Yep. So there's plenty of there's plenty of potential wrongdoing or alleged we should say alleged yep. wrongdoing for the lawyers in the in the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that you know that frankly the policy said guys enough's enough. Mm-hmm. This is not working, and they've of course been been called for a banking royal commission. And to some degree, on a political level at least, this is the Turnbull government's attempt to say we're doing something, but we don't think a royal commission is necessary. Okay, so do you think anything will come out of this, or is no. this just sort of make the pollies look good? The banks sort of get a bit of a public dressing down, and then are we back to normal? After yeah, pretty that? much. No, no, look, not much again. This was this was to avoid a royal commission. Yep. Um, the, the the bank CEOs were appropriately contrite. They kind of apologised and said they'd fix things in the future and everything would be okay. And trust us, we're onto it. Um, do it again. You, yeah. You got to wonder why they haven't been onto it the last twenty five years. All yeah. and they're onto it now, right? So look, it, it can't hurt. There's a bit of extra scrutiny, a bit of extra attention, and frankly, the bank CEOs are on notice. Yeah. You know, there is uh, the Liberal government are, are pushing back on a royal commission, but there's only there are only a couple of scandals away from having to just from the way of politically, opinion. it's going to be hard to ignore if right. They, right. They keep misbehaving. So the banks know they've got to got to pull their socks up. This is kind of the last you know shot across the bow. Do you think again, just briefly, are, are the rules and regulations we have sufficient? And it's just been a matter of poor policing and enforcement, or are, are there are there holes in in our regulatory framework, or what is it that what what is it that's gone wrong here? Or is it we, we've got everything in place, things just fell through the cracks, or what is it? It's part of all of the above. Um, there, most most people would believe there are appropriate rules in place to to watch out for the needs of consumers mm-hmm. uh, of, of customers of clients whatever you want to call them in the banking sector you know the, the, there's the, the appropriate we should say by the way just very quickly there was the, finan- the future of financial advice the FOFA rules that okay. were changed yep. um, 18 months ago yep. the banks fought that absolute tooth and nail because the world had end <laughs> turns out that the world hasn't ended since they were changed right how, how yeah. about that how funny is that yeah. isn't that amazing the banks were wrong about something like that <laughs> who would have thought um, flabbergasted yeah look the, the rules exist the problem yeah. is like all of these things they are very very hard to police because you know how do, how do you how do you prove that you got bad advice mm. or you're given bad advice mm. how do you prove that your, your insurance claim might should have been paid out and wasn't for, for whatever reason mm. they're not breaking specific rules or specific laws yeah they, so the regulations are, are about as much as you could expect mm. realistically yeah um, the problem is that the, the industry is structurally screwed. Mm. There is just way too much inbreeding across the banks, way too many you know products being sold by someone who's supposed to be a planner but ends up being a salesperson. Mm. There is too much rubbish going on when it comes to You touched to on it there, what. right? It's, it's the power of incentives, isn't it? If you're a financial planner working for one of the big four banks, you know that you have to sell the bank's product. Of course you do. And frankly, while the vast majority of them, we should be fair to those guys because there's some listening right now, some of those guys will say, we're doing the right thing. We're, I'm, pro- I'm giving the best products to the Sure, customers. a lot of them are. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. The problem is if your incentives are structured around how much money you can make from somebody else rather than their financial well-being, yeah. what are you going to do? Well, it only needs a, a, a small number to sort of, you know, 
play it to their own best interest before it starts to become a problem. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. So there is a fundamental structural problem that, is, you know, the old, the, old, the old story of, you know, um, when Paul Keating famously quoted a Jack Lang line, in the race of life, always back self-interest. At least you know it's trying, right? It's that <laughs> self-interest that's exactly, yeah. you know, the banks want to make more money. The financial planners want to make more money. The insurance salesmen want to make yeah. more money. Who do they make the money off? You and me, the knuckleheads who are buying their policies right. or taking their advice. Now, there are some great planners out there. How do, how do you know? How does the average listener, listen to us right now, Andrew, know whether they're getting good advice, bad, bad advice, or indifferent advice? Mm. You've got a bloke sitting across you on a suit and tie saying, Mr. Smith, this is the best product for you. Yep. You've either got to say, okay, I guess. Yeah. Or you say, well, I don't know. Yeah. You have no way of knowing. And that guy is so horribly, horribly conflicted yeah. that you've got to separate the incentives. You've got to separate the advice from the sales, from the product. Yeah. And that's the only way you can do it. And frankly, not a polling, not a bank CEO acknowledged that during the during the during the inquiry. This is the number one it's problem. The obvious problem, it's, isn't it's it? How do you avoid that? You're letting Dracula in charge of the blood bank. And yeah. whatever you do that, yeah. you can say, Well, Dracula, you're a bad boy, you've done the wrong thing. Yeah. And then you say, Now go back to the blood bank. Yeah. You know, and it's not a case of being stuff. evil per se, is it? I mean, I, I if I'm gonna be hundred percent honest here, if I'm in a situation and I'm, I'm I've got a range of products I could sell someone, yep. one I'm gonna get a lot of money, yep. personally, you know, relatively. Yep. And one, I'm not going to get much. And let's face it, there's a lot of different financial products, managed funds, and they, a lot of them are pretty Thousands. similar. So I can actually probably sleep pretty well at night thinking, look, they're about the same, but one I get a lot more money for. I mean, Correct. which one am I going to push? Of course. And not only are you going to do that consciously, Andrew, but let's think about it, right? A guy comes to your office who's selling the product itself, comes to the mm. financial planners office, said, mate, let me tell you about this product. It's going to earn you 10%. Yep. Are you going to listen a little bit more than the guy who comes and says, you should sell this product, but you're not getting a kickback for it? Yeah, right. like, you know, even, yeah. even just subconsciously, you can't help yourself. Incentives aren't just the overt incentives that say you can make a lot of money doing this. It's all the stuff that leads you down a path of maybe I should pay more attention. I'll go to that dinner. I'll go to that conference. I'll go to that presentation. That's a bit more commission. That's interesting. I'll store, I'll store that away subconsciously. Yeah. When it comes to looking at those two products, you, you just instinctively like one more than the other. Mm. You may not even remember why you like one more than the other. You just know that you do. Yeah. This is super insidious, right? And it yeah. happens to all of us. Yeah. Now, frankly, the answer, I'm going to give imagine. our own business a plug here, but it happens to, to apply to competitors as well. If your business is is based on your customers doing well, yep. then you're putting the customers in the right spot. And frankly, as a business, you're in the right spot. Yep. If your business is based on you earning money from your customers <laughs> and taking as much money from them as you can, no matter what happens to them as, in terms of outcomes, mm. that's exactly when things are going to struggle. Mm. You've got to, you know, frankly, if you're listening to this, listeners, go and get financial advice from someone who charges by the hour and rebates you every cent of commissions, who doesn't get a kickback, a payment, a conference, a lunch, or anything else from somebody else. Mm -hmm. If they're working only for you, they're going to look after you. Yep. If they're working for someone else and you're the schmuck, then you're probably not going to get the best advice. Or maybe you do, but you're never going to know for sure. Yeah. All right, listen, we're out of it's a, time. It's a high horse to climb down. Man, isn't it what? There's a lot more we could talk about there, but we, <laughs> there we are is. we are out of time. Scott, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Hills. Uh, that does wrap it up. Remember, you can um, subscribe, Triple M's Motley Fool Money. You go to the iTunes store or you can go to your uh, your favorite Android podcast app and just go to the Triple M website. If it's easier, triplem.com.au forward slash podcast. And please, if you would, give us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. That's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with another dose of foolishness. Until then, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.